to the letter of 1 Corinthians. We're going to be beginning our study of the book of 1 Corinthians this morning. Paul's letter to the Corinthians, it's found on page 952, if you're using the Pew Bible this morning. Letter to 1 Corinthians. We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 9. Let me remind you before I read this to you that this is God's good and kind and gracious word that he has given to his people today as an encouragement to us, but also as a way to correct us, to reprove us, uh, to show us his son, Jesus Christ. So 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 1 through 9. Paul, called by the will of God to be an apostle of Christ Jesus and our brother Sosthenes, to the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus that in every way you are enriched in him in all speech and knowledge, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you, so that you are not lacking in any spiritual gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of His Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the Word of our God stands forever. Let's pray and ask for Him to help us understand His Word. Pray with me, please. Father, we thank You for giving us uh, Your Word today. We thank You for Your apostle, uh, your servant, Apostle Paul, uh, who You inspired to write these words, that we might see and behold Jesus Christ more clearly as Your people as uh, the church here at Faith Presbyterian Church, that we might be encouraged with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Help us this morning to see him more clearly, to hear his voice as he calls us to respond to him in love, even as he has shown his love for us by living a perfect life for us and giving his life for ours and being raised to new life, that we too might have new life in him. Again, Father, help us to see the good news today through your word. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Well, I don't know if you've uh, noticed this, but we are living in troubled times. You probably feel it in your bones. I don't have to tell you that we're living in troubled times because everywhere you go, you feel it. Things aren't the way that they're supposed to be. We see uh, kind of this uh, trouble in a lot of different ways, but what the trouble has done, and, and probably because of where the trouble has come from, we have a lot of instability in our world. That instability has manifested itself in at least two ways. Uh, as, as there have been attacks on two institutions in particular, that have provided stability in our world. And those two institutions are the nuclear family and also the church. Now, it has been traditionally in most cultures throughout the world that are successful, that have stability, where the nuclear family is actually held up 
and is established and supported by the culture. Well, the nuclear family has been attacked uh, for uh, over the last 30 or 40 years in this country and in the West for much longer than that. And then also corresponding to that, we've seen more recently attacks upon the church of Jesus Christ. The very religion that we hold to has been called into question, has been attacked, so that churches are unstable themselves. Well, in reality, the nuclear family and the church have always been under attack from the very beginning. And you see this in Genesis chapter 3. God's design for the world was that the church, his people, collectively together, would be made up of families. In Genesis 3, you see a family which constituted the first church being attacked by Satan. And that instability coming in, we should not be surprised by the instability that we see in this world. But we have, for roughly 200 years in our country, had relative stability that has not been enjoyed throughout most of the history of the world. But we're experiencing these things again. Well, since we feel this instability, and since it's there and it's all around us, and our culture is going through these things... And since our church is affected by this instability, the question is, how do we regain stability? How do we regain our firm foundation? Where do we go to get our footing? Well, I think the church of Corinth is a great example to us. In the the letter to Corinth that Paul writes, provides for us that stability. The church at Corinth was a messy church. And that is... Probably an understatement. It was a wreck of a church. Um, There are a lot of books in the Bible. uh, Well, let me say it like this. All books of the Bible are applicable to us. And we can uh, glean wisdom and a lot of great information and a lot of great theology and a lot of application from all of the books of the Bible. But there are some books of the Bible that just hit a little bit closer to home. And the reason for that is because the city of Corinth, where the church of Corinth was situated, was a lot like our culture today. One preacher said that it was a prosperous city. It had fabulous wealth. It was also a pluralistic city, meaning they welcomed all different kinds of people from all different places of the world, and they were tolerant of all of these different people with all of their different behaviors. And also, they were promiscuous, sexually promiscuous, uh, primarily. Very similar to our culture today. Well, Paul is looking at the church of Corinth, and he's been receiving reports from people that the church of Corinth is looking like and acting like the culture around them. And so this letter to the Corinthians is written to correct their bad behavior, yes, to fix their issues of morality, to have them, to call them back to Christ. But it's also to provide for them a firm foundation and stability for them to live their lives as Christians in the midst of this world around them uh, that is attacking them from all over. This morning, I want us to see, uh, uh, and I'm very proud of the title of the sermon, it's Firm foundations for a fractured fellowship. Uh, Paul is telling the people at Corinth, look, you're in a mess. 
And you need a firm foundation. And he provides for them a firm, firm foundation in reminding them of who they are in Christ. Another way to say it is he gives them and reminds them of their identity in Christ. Uh, questions of identity are all the rage in our culture today. And you are told that, um, uh, that you as an individual have the right to identify yourself however you want, however it suits your fancy. Well, Paul responds to that kind of idea that actually destroys the foundations of your life and everyone's life around you. And he says, no, you need real stability. And he says, you find that as a Christian in your identity in Christ in three ways in particular. He says, first of all, you find your Christian identity as one who is called. You see this in verses 1 and 2 and then also in verse 9. Secondly, you find your Christian identity as one who is sanctified. And you see that in verses 2 and 3. And then finally, you see that you see your Christian identity as one who is blessed in Christ in verses 4 through 9. So let's begin by looking at our Christian identity as one who is called. And you see this again in verses 1 and 2. And then also in verse 9. Look at how Paul begins. He begins with his name, Paul. It's an odd way to begin, but he wants to identify himself and let this church know exactly who he is. Look at the next word. Paul called by the will of God. Paul is one who is called, and he wants to establish that right at the very beginning. The problem in Corinth, and one of the problems that we're going to see right out of the gate beginning next week, is there's this huge question of authority. Who has authority in the church? Who has authority to speak into our lives? Who is in charge over the church? So Paul is establishing at the very beginning his authority. A little bit of background for you. Paul had planted this church in Corinth. You can go back and look at 1 Corinthians chapters 17 and 18 to get more of a background on this church. He went to Corinth and he spent a longer time there than he spent in a lot of places. He spent about 18 months, about a year and a half, working in Corinth to plant this church. Every, every Saturday he would go into the synagogue. He would reason with the Jews in the synagogue until they had enough of him. They tried to get him arrested. They tried to get him kicked out of Corinth. And he said, finally, enough I'm going to go to the people that want to hear. So he goes to the Gentiles. There happened to be next to the synagogue in Corinth, a man who would listen in to the synagogue worship services, who was a Gentile. He would listen in every single Saturday about what they were talking about. And he was converted, even though he never went to the synagogue and wasn't accepted at the synagogue. Paul met him, told him about Jesus. The man accepted Jesus. And so Every single Sunday at that point, they began to have church services in this man's house right next to the Jewish synagogue. Well, so Paul, he's establishing his authority. He knows these people by name. He's only been gone for them probably for two years, maybe less than two years. And after he's left the church, he starts getting report about their questions and fighting about who's in charge at the church. Who should we listen to? There's divisions among them. There's questions about why they should do what they do and who's actually in charge. But there's also major issues of immorality happening. These are people that are not living their lives in front of the world as they should. 
Paul actually says that there is sexual immorality among them, the likes of which that even the pagans don't even mention among them. That is in the church at Corinth. And he's writing to them and he says, I want you to understand something, that I am called. Paul is an authority, but he says, I don't want you to listen to me because I am the authority over you. He says, God is the one that called me. God is the authority. God is the one that calls me. And then he also says, well, he says he's an apostle, which just means a messenger. He's one who is sent by God. He's a messenger of God uh, to tell the world about Jesus Christ. And then he also says that he's there with Sosthenes. Sosthenes is an interesting character as well. You can read Acts chapter 18 about him. He was actually a man who was very important in the synagogue in uh, Corinth. He was called the president of the synagogue. He ran the things at the synagogue. And he had this idea to get Paul kicked out of Corinth. He goes to the governor over the city of Corinth, tries to get Paul kicked out. Well, that doesn't work. He, they get kicked out of the governor's office. And then the people of the synagogue take Sosthenes and they beat him almost to the point of death. Well, apparently, Sosthenes then becomes a Christian. Isn't that interesting? And now he is acting as Paul's secretary. He is writing these words down from Paul because Sosthenes, who used to be a God-hater or a hater of Jesus Christ, is now a follower, has also been called to work for Christ. And then in verse 2, he says, To the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ, called to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their, their Lord and ours. He says that you have been called, the members of the Corinth church, you are one who is called by God. Notice what he says, you have been called. It's past tense and called to be certain things that we'll talk about in a minute. Namely, called to be saints and called to be sanctified before God. The focus here and the fo Paul's focus through all of this is on the work of God in the church at Corinth. He is not lauding the people of Corinth for their ability to choose God or to come to God in and of themselves. He says, no, you have been called by God, the focus is all on the work of God in Corinth. So what's the big deal about this? What's the big deal about being called? And how does this uh, inform us about our Christian identity? He is talking to those who are in Christ. And he says, you need to understand something about yourself. That you are not your own. You do not belong to yourself. In the ancient world, to be called was to be under authority. The ones who were called had a master. And the master was the one who got to name the ones he was calling. The ones who were called had to listen to and obey the master. So Paul here, over and over and over, in this section, look again at verse 9. God is faithful by whom you were called you are called by God into the fellowship of His Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. And He wants to cement in the minds of the people at Corinth that you are under authority. That your identity is wrapped up in who God says you are. In other words, you are not your own authority. 
You do not have the right to decide for yourself who you are and what you do. You are under His authority. If indeed you have been called by Him, you are under His authority. And this provides stability for you. You do not have to invent yourself before the world. You do not have to tell the world or or come up with this idea of who you are and impress the world. Because your maker, your creator has already told you who you are. You are an image bearer of God. He has made us male and female in His image. He has made us to reflect His image back to Him in our maleness and our femaleness. He has told us that we are to act according to His laws in the way that He has made this world. And we do not have the right to act as we want. We are under the authority of God. And that provides stability for us. It's good news. You don't have to invent yourself. And you don't have to impress anyone with your invention of who you are and how great you are. Because God tells you exactly who you are. You are made in the image of God. And if you're in Christ, you have been made righteous in Him. First of all, you are called. That is your Christian identity. Secondly, he says that your Christian identity is wrapped up in who you are called to be. Look in verse 2. To the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints, together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, both their Lord and ours. So once again, he is focused on something. He says you're called and you're called to be something specific. You're called to be sanctified. And he says also you're called to be saints. Now, uh, the word sanctified and saints in the Greek actually has the same root to it. And essentially it means to be set apart. A saint was one who was set apart. A saint is one who was someone who was made holy by God. He said, you have been called to be holy and set apart by God from the rest of the world. That is who you are. You see, God has called us, but He has called us to be something in particular. And Him calling us, He has called us for our benefit to be something in particular. I remember growing up, Uh, In Zachary, we we grew up on 40th Street in Zachary, right across the street from the high school. Um, And it was a great little neighborhood. There were lots of kids in the neighborhood. And in the summertime, we would go out and we would play outside. And we were actually commanded by my mom, you do not step foot into this house until I call you. And as soon as we were called, mom would step out and she would go to the front porch and she would say, Kids, come back for dinner. And we were supposed to come running back for dinner. We were under authority, under my mom's authority. Now, whenever she called us back, sometimes, I don't know if you can believe this, but every now and then, one of us wouldn't come back exactly when we were supposed to. Maybe we were wrapped up in a game. Maybe we were playing with other kids and and we didn't hear my mom. Maybe we were just a little bit too far away. 
You know what's interesting is whenever, whenever we were called, if we didn't come right away, even if we didn't hear my mom call, we still got in trouble. Now why would my mom still cause us to be in trouble? Why would we still get in trouble if we couldn't hear our mom's call? Well, it was my responsibility to hear her call, to not be too far away whenever she called. It was still my responsibility. But, but here's what I want you to realize about that. Why was my mom calling me back home? Why was my mom calling us back home? It was for our benefit. Because it was getting dark outside. And it's dangerous to be out there on a busy street playing whenever it's dark. She also had been inside cooking for us. And so she wanted us to come in and enjoy the benefits of having a healthy meal. And enjoying fellowship with the family. It was also for us to come in and get the appropriate amount of rest that we needed at night because my mom knew what we needed. So when she came to the porch to call us home, she wasn't trying to be mean to us. She was loving us. Here's what I want you to see, that God calls you to be something that is for your benefit. He has called you to be sanctified and to be a saint. And it is for your benefit that He has called you for this. Now the grammar here is really important. You know I can't stand grammar. But it's so important to understand what he says here. Look at how he describes these people in Corinth. He says you are sanctified. That is past tense. You already have been sanctified in Christ. Do you get that? Already sanctified in Christ. They have been called and they are sanctified. So much so that they can now be called saints. Or another way to say it, some people take this to mean perfected ones. Wait a second. I just said that the people at Corinth were wildly immoral. They were terrible people. They were horrible sinners. And Paul says, absolutely, that's who they are. But more importantly is who you are in Christ today. That if you are indeed in Christ, you have been sanctified in Him. You have been set apart. By the finished work of Christ for you, you have been made holy in Him. God calls these terrible sinners saints. And here's the reality. God only calls terrible sinners saints. There's never been a saint in this world who wasn't also a terrible sinner save Jesus Christ. We are all sinners before God. And Paul understands that, but he says, here's your identity in Christ. You need to know who you already are if you are called by the name of Christ. If you have been indeed called by Christ, you are already sanctified by Him. And what Paul is doing is he is saying, come back. To who you are in Christ. Some people hear this and they say, well, if Paul is calling them already saints, does that give them license to live their lives however they want? Do they not have to be obedient? Well, no, Paul's going to spend the rest of the letter telling them, be obedient to what God has said. And it's to your benefit that you do that. But you need to understand that your sin, if you are indeed in Christ, does not change your relationship to God. You are perfectly loved in Christ Jesus. You cannot add to or take away 
from the love that God has for you. Your salvation is not up to you. It is up to God's love for you through Jesus Christ. And he says, if that is who you are in the heavenly places already, then be that here today. And that provides stability for you. You are transformed, he says, by the grace and the peace from God our Father and Lord Jesus Christ in verse 3. That is who you are. You have received the grace of God and the peace of God. That's your stability. That's your standing with Him. That is your identity this morning. Finally, he says, here's your Christian identity as well, that you are blessed in the Lord. Look at how he says this. Verse 4, I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus. That in every way you were enriched in him in all speech and all knowledge. Now, you have to remember that Paul is talking to a church that is fabulously wealthy. They are extremely prosperous. Now, not all of them are. And we're going to see later on in the book of, of Corinth that some of the wealthy people are taking advantage of some of the poor people in the congregation. The wealthy people are actually oppressing the poor people in the congregation, and that's a problem. But he's talking to people who have been enriched. But look at how he says it. He, he draws their mind away from how the world typically think of, thinks of riches, and he says, look at the gifts, look at the blessing that you've been given in Christ That in every way you were enriched, made wealthy, in Him in all speech and all knowledge. He says you have been given from God everything that you need to be enriched in this world. And that is the speech about Jesus Christ, the profession that you make about Christ, and the knowledge that you have regarding Jesus Christ. And that is the heart of true riches to know Christ, to profess Christ. And he wants these wealthy Christians to know that your hope and your stability and your identity is not in your wealth, it's not in your bank account, it's not in your business ventures, it's not in your ability to provide for yourself or your family, but it is being enriched by God and blessed by God. We tend to think of blessings as resource blessings from God. God Please, Lord, give me a better job that I can make good money. Lord, give me a bank account that provides me security. Lord, provide this thing for me that I really need, and that will be my stability. And Paul says to these wealthy Corinthians, that is not your stability, that is not your identity. Your identity is in Jesus Christ. And he says, he goes on farther, he says something really, really um, crazy. Um, that you have been enriched in him in all speech, in all knowledge about Christ, even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you, so that you are not lacking in any spiritual gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ. He says, you have already received every spiritual gift that you need in Christ. The spiritual gifts were a huge problem in Corinth. The charismatic gifts as we understand them. Things like speaking in tongues and prophecy of the Spirit and various things like that. Um, Those were huge issues in the book of Corinth. And we'll get to that in chapters 11 and and, chapters 12 and 13 uh, and following. All of those sorts of things. 
But these are people that are fighting with each other about their super spiritualness, about their ability to speak in tongues or to prophesy or to do all of these things. Because they said that's an indication of how holy we are and how set apart we are. And Paul says, no, you've already all been set apart. And it doesn't matter about these other spiritual gifts that you've been given. He says, you've been given, every single one of you, every spiritual gift that you need in Christ. You have been blessed already. You already have it all. There's no need for pride among you. As a matter of fact, pride needs to fall away. You see, their standing with God is not dependent upon them um, that's, one of, that's what he says at the end of verse 7. One of the problems that um, was going on in Corinth is that there was a group of people in Corinth telling everyone else that they had already arrived. That they had already gotten from God everything that they need. And the proof was the fact that they were fabulously wealthy. That they could buy whatever they wanted. And that they didn't have a care in the world. And they said, God has already blessed us. And Paul is saying, no, that's not how God blesses. That's not the indication that God has blessed you. And he says, you have not arrived. Why? Because at the end of verse 7, as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, he has not yet come. They had what's called an overrealized eschatology. We'll talk more about that as we go on. Because they thought that Jesus had already returned and that they were exactly as they needed to be. And he says, no. And actually, Christ, who you think has already returned but has not yet returned, will sustain you to the end, guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. Why? Because God is faithful, by whom you were called, into the fellowship of His Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Christ is the one that sustains. Christ is the one that holds you fast. Your identity is that Christ has already given you all that you need in Him. That you have been blessed with Him That is who you are this morning. That's a corrective for us today. Because today we tend to think and we treat our wealth as if it is our Savior. But it is not. If all of our wealth was gone tomorrow, let me make it personal. If all of your wealth was gone tomorrow, what would you have left? Could you say with Paul that you have everything that you need in Jesus Christ? Or would you say, no, I need my wealth in order to provide? Paul says we have everything that we need for today in Jesus Christ, that we have been blessed. And that isn't a matter of money or resources or houses or cars or bank accounts or savings or anything like that. Our blessings are all wrapped up in the person and work of Jesus Christ. There's a movie, The Incredibles. It's an old Disney. It's not that old, but it's uh, um, like 15 years old now. And there's a scene where Mr. Incredible, who's kind of like a Superman character, he has not been able to uh, practice his Superman or his uh, great abilities. He's been shut out from doing that. Uh, and one day he's been at work as an insurance adjuster, and he's so frustrated by his work as an insurance adjuster uh, and keeping money away from people that rightly deserve it because he's working for a big corporation. He comes home, he's frustrated, he gets out of his car, and he's so strong that he slams the car, and the car almost falls to pieces. And then he gets mad, and he picks up the car, and then he sees that there's a little boy on a tricycle looking at him with his eyes wide open. And he's, 
gently puts the car down and kind of slinks inside. He's supposed to be in hiding. Nobody's supposed to know that he has these powers. Well, another point, Mr. Incredible comes back home and the boy is outside, waiting outside of, of his house. And the boy says, or Mr. Incredible says, what do you want? And he says, I don't know, something amazing to happen. Mr. Incredible says, so do, so do I, kid, so do I. They're waiting for something amazing. And what Paul is saying here is we don't have to wait for that amazing thing to happen. It has already happened for us in Jesus Christ. That is your identity. That is who you are. The amazing thing has already happened. Jesus Christ is yours. All the blessings of Christ are yours. You have already been sanctified. You have been called in Christ Jesus. Who are you this morning? Have you been called? Have you been sanctified? Have you been blessed? Or are you still waiting for something more? There's nothing more for you outside of Jesus Christ. And this is the call to come to him this morning. Come to Christ today. He is calling. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for giving us this message today. And we pray that you would help us uh, to realize if we are in Christ, our identity in him. That we are not who we say we are. We are not who the world says we are. We're not even who our spouses or our loved ones or our families say we are. But we are who you say we are. Pray that we would live our lives in that identity as your people. If there's anyone here today who doesn't know you, I pray that you would call them and sanctify them and bless them with your son, Jesus Christ. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.